faith never yet stepped into faith, but God can take hold of you and he can use you and bless you and uh, do great things in your life. So uh, it's really good to be together and uh, we continue with this uh, little series that we've been running on a Sunday evening uh, using a little bit of an old-fashioned phrase that's found quite often in some of the older translations of the Bible that simply says, take heed. And the word heed is uh, not perhaps a word that we'd use on a regular basis now, but it simply means to take note, to be attentive, to observe and to respond. And uh, we've been on an exciting journey, as you know, even this year. Christian was saying to me, you know, even just as we were starting, you know, whenever we get, uh, whenever discouragement would seek to come to us, we just have to remind ourselves of the journey. And uh, we never despise the day of small things. We've got a little group of people here that were faithfully uh, seeking the Lord and blessing God in another context. And we really were down with respect to a few. But God's done a great thing over the last three and a half years. And it's been wonderful to be on the journey. And uh, I still pinch myself to realize that it was only in the spring of this year that we actually purchased this building. And um, I, I uh, feel, a, fraud's probably the wrong word, but I feel a little bit sort of embarrassed sometimes because uh, in terms of the context I find myself in, in terms of both serving the church and also in that wider area role, I, I often sort of spend some time talking to people who ask me about Arena. And I have the joy of sharing the story. You need to know that the story of Arena spills out. I have to tell people that I've only had a, a little part to contribute in that because there have been so many other people that have been wonderfully faithful and responsive to what God's doing. And together we can do it. We reminded ourselves of that on Tuesday evening. And so here we are just a few months later with the, the bottom floor of this facility working and functioning properly, fit for purpose. And we've got this great place to meet on a Sunday evening, which we believe is going to be overflowing with people. So we're going to have to knock that false wall down and we'll go again. But it's just great to be together and to see what God is doing. And we've tried to respond to God in terms of him almost directing where we've been going with ministry from the Bible over the last number of months. And we've been very conscious even over that three, three and a half year period of just laying some things into the life of the church that have very much become part of us. And so during the summer we were talking about principles of the kingdom of God and different people were sharing. And we were declaring that so your kingdom come, your will be done. The rule of Jesus in the earth, on earth as it is in heaven. We know that there's always going to be a day that that will only come ultimately in fullness. We want more of the kingdom to pour out into Mansfield, more of the reign of Jesus, more of his rule, more people living like Jesus. That will make a difference. And then just uh, during this uh, autumn season, just taking us to the great Christmas season, we've just been looking again at some things that are right at the heart of arena that continually define us and shape us, things that we run to again and again and again. Take heed, be attentive, take note. So we're reminding ourselves that we need to take heed to the Word of God, the Bible. It endures forever. It still speaks to us today. It changes lives. We need to take heed to ourselves because we're committed not only to being believers, but to being disciples, fully devoted followers of Jesus. The North American language of this is spiritual formation. That we begin a journey and then Jesus continually forms himself in us. We become increasingly like him. We need to take heed to our own journey in that. We need to take heed, as Julie reminded us, to worship. We've worshipped tonight. We've not worshipped nobody. We've worshipped the living God, the God of the Most High, 
that exalted above everything. There is no other name like Jesus. And friends, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not surprising that when we exalt that name, something begins to happen in the atmosphere. Because if we lift him up, he'll draw all men to himself. And the Bible says there's no other name like Jesus. There's a day coming when everyone will confess with their mouth and bow with their knee to Jesus and see that he is Lord. And we reminded ourselves last week that we need to take heed to serve him. Because that is very much right at the heart of Arena Church. Servant leadership, servant ministry, servant expression. We're all called out of the security of our sonship, our relationship with the Father, our acceptance in him, even though we didn't deserve it, out of that security to bring ourselves to absolutely serve the Lord. To have, uh, to have the, 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 the towel and bowl of water ministry that reaches out. And just further to that tonight, which really sort of relates a little bit to last week, I want us, uh, in the moments that we've got this evening, to be reminded again, to take note, to be attentive, to observe and to respond, that Arena Mansfield needs to take heed to the poor. And this sits right at the heart of what we are as a church. And I'm going to read two verses, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. The one in the Old Testament is speaking into the life of God's special people in the Old Testament. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 11, there will always be the poor people in the land or among you. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow people who are poor and needy in your land. And then in Luke's gospel in the New Testament in chapter 4, Jesus, after 30 years of relative anonymity, begins to emerge into the public arena and he goes to Nazareth he goes to the place of worship in his hometown and begins to read from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament which all the people would have been aware of but there was something different about this day because he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor we've over spiritualized that and of course there is a poorness of spirit and I'll come to that in a moment but I think it was also literal friends that the mandate of the church that was on Jesus and yeah. by the help of his spirit now sits on us. This is our manifesto. Yeah. This is our mandate. Yeah. Is that we would be a church that takes the gospel to the poor. Now I warn you tonight that I've got far too much material for the time that I've got. And so what I'm going to do is just bullet point it. There are times when you just open up a verse and you open it up and open it up. But sometimes you just splurge something over people. And it's the splurge approach tonight. But hopefully you'll just get something of my heart, but not only my heart, our hearts. The passion of what we are about. Because this is absolutely crucial in the life of the journey of this church. And I want to say not only this church, but any progressive local church anywhere in the world cannot ignore this mandate. Right. See, something's been happening, particularly over the last 20 years in the church. And particularly in our type of church, which we are... Uh, a spirit-filled community, a Pentecostal church, a church that believes in the Word of God, in, in, the, in the power of the Spirit. Because it's about 90 years ago, 1924, 90 years next year in Ashton, Birmingham, that the Assemblies of God was formed. It was formed as a collaboration of churches, about 70 of them, that came together really to uh, sort of uh, rejoice in the truth of the baptism of the Spirit. And... We always, always need to remember, friends, time change, but whatever we have the opportunity to live in today is on the back of great faithful ministry of the past. It was a different age. Many of those people were vilified for their stance 
on the baptism of the Spirit. Many of them have been, in quotes, put out of their church. Many of them were misunderstood. Was there some extreme attitudes? Yes. Was there some fanaticism in the wrong sense of the word? Yes. Was there some unwise behavior? Yes. But the reality is, friends, that a hundred years ago, um, there was very little of this taking place in anything in the church. And God has miraculously, in the last hundred years, poured out of his spirit in the earth. So today, there are hundreds of millions of people that enjoy a spirit-filled experience. But one of the things that did happen was a bit of a pushback to this sort of thing. Because, and I use these words in a very generalized sense, it was, we'll preach the word and we'll leave other people, maybe with a liberal social context, to get on with ministering to the poor. And that, that took place for a long time. Maybe it wasn't intended, and maybe it had to sort of go that way to get us to where we are. But 10, 20 years ago, something prophetic began to stir in the church again. That it wasn't just about word, it was about works. It wasn't just about works, it's about word. It's not either or. But there's this thing that runs in tandem. That we had to reach out to people in a practical way. We couldn't just preach to them, we got to actually help feed them as well. We couldn't just talk to them, we needed to come alongside them. We couldn't just talk about this and, and just sort of sympathize with their situations. But we had to start doing something about it. And the fascinating journey of Arena is that as we began to respond to that in small things, God's done amazing things. So let me just take you back to Arena Ilkeston, our other campus just down the M1. It was only just over three years ago that literally we put a, a horrible wooden pallet. In fact, if you picked it up, you got splinters all over your fingers. At the front of the church, we just said to Christian, just said to Fox, as we began to become aware of people right on the doorstep of our church that were going hungry. If you'd like to bring some food, then just put it on that container. We'll make sure somebody gets it. A few sort of Tesco bags appeared. Here we are three years later, having given over 5,000 parcels away to people. And uh, that food bank parcel went to a wheelie bin. The wheelie bin went to a food bank opening at the church. The food bank opening at the church went to serving meals to, two, to people twice a week. The food bank in the church went to a 7,000 square foot unit around the corner from the church where there's food bank, furniture bank and all the other things that are taking place with a volunteer force of 40 plus. That's happened in our church. Because people had a passion to take these verses to heart. Why are we committed to this? Why do we take mercy offerings? You'll be glad to know it's only once a month and not every week. Why do we encourage people in our church to do short term mission in challenging cultures and contexts? Why do we encourage people in our church to find various expressions of practical ministry to the disadvantaged and marginalized? Because we've got a mandate. So our mandate is a Bible mandate that we must take heed to the poor that are around us. And we do this, friends, not from guilt, but from gratitude. Our motivation must be so right, because motives are weighed by the Lord. That's what the wisdom book of Proverbs said. And if we do it just out of guilt and not out of gratitude, we end up doing it with dead works. Maybe that's what people push back on in the past. The term the poor is not meant to be patronizing or insulting. It is a term used over and over again in the Bible. As I've already said from Deuteronomy, God says you will always have the poor in the land. And we need to be helping them. Please note that while at times there are obvious reasons for poverty, i.e. laziness, fecklessness and idleness, that people need help to address... The Bible generally urges a call to help and not to blame. See, we can sit here forever deciding if somebody's poor because they've got a mobile phone. But the, the need's more urgent than that. The need, friends, not is to blame, but to help. And that, 
maybe on occasions challenged some of our prejudices, which I'll come back to in a moment. History reveals many heroic men and women of God that have engaged in the ministry to the poor. And there's no doubt, friends, that there is a fresh prophetic mandate to the local church in the earth in these days that affects every one of us. So I'm going to give you ten reasons why we need to address the area of poverty and then bring some responses. So I'm going to bullet point them. This is a splurge message. So get ready, because we're not going to be here all night. We're going to be here for about the next 20 minutes. So here's the reasons where we need to address issues of the poor. Number one, economically and financially. The uncomfortable truth, whether we like it or not, is that there are people in our communities, in Ilkeston, in Mansfield, up the M1 corridor, that at this particular time, on this particular night, have no money. They have no money to buy any food, and they have no money to eat. We might not like that. We may think it's another world. We may think it's unreal. We may sit here forever saying it's their fault. But the reality is that it's there. And that's where really food banks started. And the things that I'm sewing into tonight, we're increasingly believing, friends, are going to find a missional expression from this hub here. Because we've not just built this building or got this building to meet on a Sunday night. We thank God for that. But we've bought it, friends, to be a hub in the community. And Christian was just talking with this week of the challenges of 2014 here, where we increasingly establish what God wants to do. Remember prophetically from David Hind, not to copycat what's happened down the motorway, because there'll be some different challenges. Not just to try and replicate it, it worked there, it'll work here. But the spirit of what we're trying to do will be the same. Because there are poor people that need to be reached. There are people tonight, uncomfortably so. They've got no food. There are kids going to bed tonight with a couple of custard creams and nothing else. And that's the reality. Economically and financially. You'll be aware in 2008 that the world entered what was called a global recession. Economic shutdown. It was perhaps uh, highlighted when those uh, workers came out of, uh, of the American bank Lehman's with their cardboard boxes that day in the autumn of 2008. We're into the sixth year of global recession. And there are some encouraging signs around, but most ordinary people I talk to say, well, it's not hit me yet. And some of you may have had to go through some really difficult times in this austere area. But God wants to help us and to bless us. The poor not only economically, but the poor sociologically, because the reality is that most people in the world don't live like people in the West. See, the truth is, friends, that that many areas of the world live in relative poverty. Interestingly, it's where we're seeing some of the great church explosion as well. 80%, 80% of people in the earth, 7 billion people in the earth, 80% of those people live on less than $10 a day. I'm not just throwing figures out, these are research figures. 884 million people have no access to clean living water every day. And 800 million people tonight across the earth will go to bed hungry. See, we think we're poor. But some of you have traveled to realize what real poverty is. And some of these people praise God like you wouldn't imagine. And there are massive issues in the earth. And then educationally there's poverty. Literacy and numeracy issues that still put a lid on millions of people's lives. And we need to bring some redress to that. The heroic young schoolgirl... Malala Yousafas, remember she was shot by the Taliban simply because she wanted to go to school and she ended up in the hospital in Birmingham, has made a wonderful recovery. 
Recently, as a 14-year-old girl made a speech to the United Nations, she said, one child, one teacher, one pen, one book can change the world. And it really can. It really can. There's poverty morally. The indiscretions in moral and often sexual behaviour that can affect nations. Example, the HIV AIDS pandemic south of the, of the Sahara in Africa. And they've tried to bring some redress to that. Human trafficking. The work of hope for justice amongst others that we've become aware of in recent times. The trades on people, often using them from one nation to another. Prostitution and awful expo exploitation of women particularly generally leads to poverty for most of them. There's poverty physically where people with all sorts of, for all sorts of reasons are impaired physically and the knock-on effects are huge. There's poverty amongst the elderly. The report in the Times in January 2011 said that over 500,000 people, elderly people, 65 plus, in the UK in the Christmas of 2011 had spent Christmas in bed to keep warm. The report was produced by Age UK. There's poverty relationally, the growing dysfunctionality of many families, many parents estranged from their children and children from their parents, often leading to people finding themselves in highly vulnerable situations. There's poverty occupationally. There's over 1 million kids in our nation between 16 and 24 called NEETS. They're not in a job, they're not in training, and they're not in education. And in other parts of the world, friend, the issues are far greater. And just across the water into nations like Spain and Greece, the travesty amongst young people that have no hope, seemingly no jobs, is absolutely incredible. There's poverty ethnically, the huge increase of people... Transmigrating has caused some issues, and we've read about it even last week. We've just up the motorway in Sheffield amongst the Roma community. People from other cultures and contexts moving often to, in quotes, better themselves, and on many occasions still finding themselves ending up living in relative poverty. And of course, there's poverty spiritually, which we must never ignore, because the greatest poverty of all is to be have a poverty of spirit, because it will affect you and impact you in all. And for all eternity. And Jesus and the church must reach out to the poor in the literal sense. Never also forgetting that outside of a relationship with Jesus. Our inner life too will be poverty stricken. The psalmist says this poor man cried out. And the Lord heard him. Now we could camp at all of those things for a long time. And some of the above categories at first glance may seem to have little relevance to the issue of the poor. But I want to tell you that every one of them bring a challenge to our lives. And of course, you'll see that the challenge is far greater than simply people having no money. And so what are some of the foundational verses that, that relate to all of this? Well, as I've already read in, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus says that we're, he has come to preach and he has mandated us to preach the gospel to the poor. The word gospel simply means good news. Yeah. Tonight, if you're in a poverty context, be that literally or spiritually, the good news is that God can begin to turn it around. The psalmist says that when we reach out to the poor, we reflect the heart of God. The proverb says that we are called to be a voice for those who have none and to speak up for justice in Jesus' name. I, as I said, we are called to be a city of refuge. You'll know that in the Old Testament, there were literally cities of refuge that people could run to and be safe and secure. And this church, friends, in this town, for this time, needs to be a city of refuge where people can run to, be a safe place, be a secure place, be an accepting place, 
Be a place where needs are met and people reach out in Jesus' name. It's the mandate that's upon us. The prophet Isaiah says we are called by God's help to be an answer and a solution. He went on to say that ministry to the poor is expressed in true fasting. To share food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with a shelter. And Matthew in the good news book of Matthew said that as we minister into these situations, we don't go as Jesus, we go to Jesus. And that's an amazing principle. As someone said, none of this is hard to understand, but it can on occasions be incredibly hard to do. And this church, by God's grace, friends, is absolutely determined that it's not going to turn a deaf ear to this particular challenge, but it's going to take heed. It's already doing it. There's so much more to do. And God's going to help us. Let me just talk for a moment about our attitudes to this particular challenge. We need to be generous. In 2 Corinthians 9, it talks about that when we give, it's like sowing seed. And we need to sow generously. God loves a cheerful giver. Interestingly, in the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, talks about people who out of their poverty gave with great generosity. And it's the only time that this phrase is used in the whole of the New Testament, but it talks about the grace of giving. And we're praying increasingly, friends, that there will be a grace of giving upon our lives. Because when there's a grace of giving in our lives, it seems to be easy to do it. You see, sometimes when I'm chasing around, sort of up and down the M42, going to Birmingham and back, or whatever I'm doing, people say, ooh, I couldn't do what you're doing. Well, God's not asking you to. And if I can say it with humility tonight, friends, there's a grace on me to do it. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. And when the grace comes on the church to give, I tell you, friends, it won't be a problem for us to give. We'll just be looking for the situations that we can give to. And you've heard Julie's heart tonight as she reached out for us. And the reality is that we can all do something. We can all do something. Maybe some of us can do more than others, but we can all make a contribution to this. And when a grace of giving comes upon us, it will cause us to be incredibly, supernaturally generous. To touch needs on the doorstep of our lives and beyond in Jesus' name. Wouldn't it be fantastic that if every mercy offering we took in 2014 exceeded £1,000 every time? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be fantastic, friends, if the regular giving in the life of the church went up so that we can release people into their mandate of mission in the life of the church? Maybe God's speaking to some of you. Maybe that Romans 12 gift of generosity needs to rise up in some of you so that you do something way beyond what you thought was possible and God bless us in Jesus' name. We need to be just. uh, Proverbs 29 verse 7 says that uh, we are to, uh, to, to care about justice for the poor. The greatest voice, friends, for for the poor didn't ought to be through politicians. And I know that many go into politics, hear me. I know it's easy to bag politicians. I know that many people go into politics with a noble cause to try and help people. And I respect that hugely. But it's not just down to the politicians. It's down to the church. But you know something, friends, when the church begins to emerge, the politicians take notes. They begin to realize that we're serious about what we're doing in Jesus' name. And we need to be a people that care about justice for the poor. The Bible tells us also, friends, that our attitude needs to be one of inconvenience. Because in Luke 3.11, it says, if you've got two and somebody needs one, guess what? You've now got one and he's got one. One of my Anglican ministers challenged me once. He said, how many pair of shoes have you got? I think I've got three. You know. Some of you got more than that, you ladies, my word. You know. 
we were sort of having a serious conversation, you know. I thought, you want to pay, Tim, you know. But, uh, but anyway, but we've got so much of certain things at times. How about giving some of it away? God says if you've got one, if you've got two, then one's enough. You need to give it to someone else. Well, that sounds a bit inconvenient. Absolutely, this is inconvenient. This is absolute, This is going to stretch you. This is going to inconvenience you. This is why many churches don't sign up for it. But we're signing up for it. We really are. It means being sacrificial. You know, we love the Acts 2 community, don't we? But notice the sacrificial nature of the Acts 2 community. Where they were looking out for people that were in need. Read about it. And they shared together what they had. I understand it was a unique situation. Don't worry, we're not sort of going to create a kibbutz. We're all going to live together happy ever after. But this is a community of people. And the reality is the Acts 2 community looked out for people that were in need and sought to address that need by giving into it from those that had more. We need to be respectful. The Bible tells at the end of James chapter 1, the only time in the whole of the Bible where religion is mentioned positively. Religious Christianity. What is religious Christianity? It's taking care of widows in need and orphans and to be respectful of them. It's the only time it's mentioned positively. Most of the time religion is negative, but not in that case. True religion and undefiled is when we reach out to widows in need and orphans and respectfully bless them and honor them in Jesus' name. We need to be fair. The beginning of James chapter 5 talks about those that have an opportunity to have other people working for them. To be fair to them, to treat them in a proper and correct way. And we need to be practical because at the end of, uh, rather in the middle of uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 3 verses 17 to 18, this is my paraphrase. He's basically saying, no good just praying for people. But if you've got the means, if they've got a need, then we need to practically help them. We do need to pray for people, friends, but that's not enough. We need to give in to the need. We need to respond practically. And the Bible says that. Be practical in your attitudes. And then finally, our responses. Poverty of itself is not a virtue, and clearly God's heart is that his church would work and help to alleviate it. But for some, listen to this, for some it has meant a life that has identified, a life of identification. It's literally called them to live among the poor. I wonder if we've got somebody in Arena Church. I wonder if we've got a young person that's going to emerge in the next two, three, four, five years. That actually the calling over your life is a calling of identification. What do I mean by that? Well, I was talking about the guy last week, the missionary from America, that lives amongst the favelas, the shanty towns, the slums, high on the hills of Rio. You'll see them next year. They won't be on there for long because they'll be showing all the good sides. But the millions of people that live high on the hills... And this guy's lived a life of identification. That's where he's caught. I tell you, friends, true missionaries that live in those things don't have a gated house that sort of makes them different from everybody else. They literally, incarnationally, are Jesus into those situations. Remember the first time I went to Kampala, the most chaotic, crazy, noisy city in the, I've ever been to. I mean, the traffic is just, it's just ridiculous. We were driving around and somebody says, just look up there. And it was the most disgusting street that you've ever seen. Most poverty street. But right there, right in the middle, were some Catholic nuns living amongst the poor. Day after day after day after day. What a calling. What a calling. It's not the calling of most of us. 
But every one of us, friends, need to ensure that our responses to this uncomfortable challenge find a real depth in our hearts. So here's four questions to close. Are my prejudices at bay? Read the beginning of Acts chapter, uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. It basically tells a story. It tells a story of a fine-looking guy with an Amani suit. You know, I didn't quite use that language, but my paraphrase again. Walking into the church and everybody's saying, great to see you, mate. And then, it, and then it brings somebody out that stinks and smells. And is obviously down on the uppers and says, well, you better go and sit on the back row. The guy with the suit on, get down the front. And God says, that's not the way that we ought to be working because mercy always triumphs over justice and I remember many many years ago when I was in our context in Oxford we, did, we were doing a home group and we got onto our, uh, James chapter 2 and one of the quiet girls in the church never used to say anything began to open up about her prejudices in this area especially before God it was a, one of those nights when God just came you know she says that's what I've been like to people and I'm sorry I want to tell you, friends, that I, I, I watch the 6 o'clock news. You know, current affairs is a bigger bit of my bag. You know, Channel Talia got crazy if I don't know what's happening on the, on the news. And I have to keep my prejudices at bay. I have to be careful that I'm not making knee-jerk comments at times about he needs to get himself sorted out. You know, she needs to... Put... And I have to keep these things at bay. Because I find, friends, that they can easily arise in my heart. That I'm making comments about things I don't really know anything about. Because we have people, friends, emerging in our community increasingly that speak the first different language and have a different colour skin. What is our prejudices towards these people? Do we think that they all just ought to go back on the next boat home and give us all back our land? Or what is it? Well, I tell you, that's, that's a simplistic solution that's not going to work. There are all sorts of reasons why maybe they've come here in the first place. And we know the banner headlines are at times because they just want to get on the benefit system and access a free health service. Maybe some of that's all true. But the problem's not going to go away because of it. And what's the church's response? I find myself sometimes more prejudiced than I'd like to be. And I ask God to help me. Are my prejudices at bay? Is my attitude Christ-like? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. says that we're to take the same attitude as Jesus. Who, though he thought it not robbery to equal, be equal with God, humbled himself. And came as a servant and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Wherefore God's exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. And we approach this Advent season, this wonderful season of Christmas. And all the joys that it brings. And I love all that. But the reality is, friends, I'm overwhelmed increasingly. The older I get in the face at Christmas time by the amazing sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God who was God, who humbled himself and came into this earth in humility, and if I can say it, in abject poverty in Bethlehem, to change your world and to bring us a destiny. Let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Is my mercy heart enlarged? Is it getting larger? Or is it getting smaller? remember listening to Bill Heibel some years ago, and he made this challenging statement about people that have been in the faith for a long time and people that have been in ministry. He says, are things getting better in you or worse? Are you more long-tempered or short-tempered? Are, are you more generous or more mean? 
In other words, sometimes actually we can go longer in the faith and not advancing things, but shrinking them. It's never the heart of God. Is my mercy heart enlarging? Friends, it's so easy for us, even in the church, to have a mercy offering. So, oh yeah, that's just, just what we do in arena. But I wonder if we can have our mercy heart enlarged to realize that we reach out to people and it makes an incredible difference. And is my generosity uncompromised? I've already mentioned the phrase, but God asks us to live in the power of the grace of giving. As I close, friends, interestingly, just on Friday down at Costa in town, I met Matt Sanderson, who's one of the representatives of Christians Against Poverty, a great organization that was started 17 years ago by John Kirby in Bradford. John's an entrepreneur, he's a great leader, but at that time he'd gone through a desperate situation. He'd lost his business, he'd lost his house, he'd lost everything, and he was in debt. And Jesus came and completely revolutionized his life. And out of that leadership entrepreneurship, he's established an amazing expression of working in the body of Christ. Over 200 people now in the head offices at, at Bradford. And if, any, if, if all of them are like Matt, then I'll tell you, Frank, they've got a great organization because it was a joy to meet him. 600 people have come to the Lord this year through the ministry of Christians Against Poverty. It's unashamedly Christian. In fact, Martin Lewis, some of you know Martin Lewis, if you listen to Radio 5, moneyexpert.com, you know, and he's, why well, use one word when, you know, many will do. But he's got a lot of things to say, and he began to mention Cap in a lot of his advice. And John Kirby wrote to him and said, Martin, I just want you to be sure that, he says, we are unashamedly a Christian organization. I know you mentioned us, we thank you for it. But just to absolutely emphasize that we do, on occasions, ask to pray with people. If they say, no, that's fine. We want people to become Christians in all of our advice on debt. And Martin Lewis wrote back and says, thanks, John. I couldn't care less what you are. You're doing a great job and keep raising your voice. Amazing. And then there's a magazine that I just subscribed to. And this week, this came through in the supplement. Poverty in the UK, can it be eradicated? Far more learned people than me trying to address in our nation, friends, the issues that I've tried to outline in just a few minutes tonight. Arena Mansfield, maybe we've got some struggles ourselves because we've not been immune from the recession. Maybe we've got very little spare income at the end of the month. Understand that. We get that. We live in the real world. But let's take heed afresh tonight to the challenge of being a church by God's grace that will respond to the poor. Jesus' words are this, as much as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me.